You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson, and I'm joined today by Bruce Adams and Marty Foster. Let's uh, let's go ahead and get started. And it's uh, it's fantastic to have all of you here tonight. We've got a very special guest joining us tonight. We will get to him in just a moment. Bruce, nice to see you, as always. Marty, great to see you. Nice to see you back. And I, kn- I know it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting going forward because as things continue to get more out of control over there, I have a funny feeling that we're going to be talking more and more. The last time you were on. Somebody actually sent me a text message in the middle of our recording, and they said, who are you on with today? And I said, I'm on with uh, with Marty. And they were speechless. They couldn't wait to, the next day, to get it out the next day so they could hear what you had to say. Does that mean I'm controversial, darling? I, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure. You'd have to ask the listener if I can get that person to send some feedback to you directly on Parlor, which I might be able to. Then that would be you good. Can, then you can answer that person directly. But absolutely. This evening, uh, we're joined by a very special guest. Uh, he's a friend of yours, personal friend of yours, uh, Marty, and he is. I believe you are originally from the UK, and you now live in uh, Valencia, Spain. Is that correct? Uh, welcome, Steve. Nice to have you here tonight. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, very nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, yeah, I'm living in Spain. I've been here a long time. Yeah, many years. Uh, I've got two children here as well. Two kids. Two children. Well, that's that's fantastic. I'm not exactly sure how things are going down there. I have heard good things. I've heard bad things. I've heard, uh, of course, a couple of years back, I remember all the uh, the big ruckus with all what was going on with like Catalonia and all of that. Uh, I, I remember that. And then now with COVID and everything, I mean, I'm hearing about upheavals in Barcelona and Madrid and all of this. Not heard much about Valencia, though. Uh, what's yeah. the atmosphere like where you're at specifically? Uh, well, it's very difficult to say. I mean, I can't really give you like I'm uh, I don't know if I like I said to you the uh, a minute ago, I'm a little bit out of the loop. I'm out of the loop big time. Uh, in many in many respects, you know, I don't have a television, for example. You know, uh, I don't read the new the local newspapers, uh, and because we're in the COVID lockdown, well, it's not really a lockdown in Valencia. It's far from it. You know, I mean, the bars are open, uh, restaurants are open. You know, really, cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, the uh, the casualties, if that's what you want to call them, uh, is is very high. Uh, yeah, if you uh, believe what they say. I think it's maybe second highest in Europe, is it, or something like that? I, don't, I, don't I know, know. I mean, it's very high. I've just stopped following the, the numbers, you know. So, in your experience, though, as in what you've observed, yeah, have you seen evidence of of lots of people being ill, or know if lots of people have been seriously ill as a result of a COVID infection? Yeah, well, you know, if I tell you the truth, you know, uh, it's like I don't actually know anybody personally who's who's been ill. I don't and, know. Nice to yeah. I, and, uh, it's, I it's know in, people, you know, like people's mothers and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Sure. I don't really, I've never really kind of met, you know. So. Yeah, and, and I think that's the same for a lot of us where we are being told uh, that, you know, the, the infection rate is high and there's more new cases every day. But actual people that I know that have had a positive test or have been ill yeah. is about five. Right. And I, I'm very much in the loop and I'm a bit jealous of how out of the loop you are. I think that's a beautiful way to be. Um, Absolutely. No TV. That's great. I, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't I mean, had I, a TV for like 20 years, you know. Whatever. Really? Okay. I, I have a TV. I just don't really watch it. I can't think of the last yeah. time I actually watched it. I mean, I spend most of my time in uh, uh, in, in big uh, history books that are about this size and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that's oh, that's kind yeah. of... It's kind of my, uh, he, my pastime. He, he does. He does. And surprisingly, he does have a personality as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, okay. I mean, you know, I don't have a TV. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking about buying one, you know, because they've got these fantastic big screens, you know, like have a, you know, sort of three-foot screen, you know, screwed to the wall, and I can watch all these videos, yeah? Yeah. But, 
I haven't done it yet, but um, it probably will happen at some point. But um, yeah, I mean, everyone's walking around with a mask. I mean, it's not like, uh, I, I mean, a friend of mine who's just back from Holland or just back, I don't know when he came back a few months ago. And he said like in Holland, there's, you know, people wear masks, I believe, you know, when they go into a shop or something like that. But generally speaking, they don't wear one. But here, everybody wears a mask. I mean, that's a weird thing. You know, everyone, you know, you're walking along the street and, every, and everyone's wearing a mask. And then they got all the cafes are open. Yeah. And so yeah. like you're sitting down at a cafe and there's no distancing. I mean, you know, you can be at the same small table. And of course, you don't wear a mask. Yeah. And you're there sitting, you know, drinking coffee and chatting and smoking and all the rest of it. Yeah. But this is outside in the street, obviously. Yeah. And it was very much the same in Rome when I was there recently. Yeah. And um, the Romans wear their masks on their elbow. But if when they're not in use, they wear them on the elbow, and it's like a is that, fashion is that an old adage, isn't it, or something? Or what? The Romans wear their masks on their elbows. Yeah, no, <laughs> no it's it's not like wearing your heart on your sleeve. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's you wear your mask on your sleeve, and I know one or two people who were with me on that trip to Rome who are copying it because let's face it, everyone copies the Italians for fashion and and all the rest of it. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's a fashion the fashion attire, yeah? Wear but, your mask on your elbow. Wear your mask on your elbow. But in all seriousness, when I was when you when you knew me yeah. and I was a snot nosed little boy, <laughs> I was absolutely addicted to um to television. And some of it paid off, but my addiction to sitcoms was terrible. Because back then, if you missed an episode, you'd missed it. You weren't ever going to see it again. There was no catch-up TV. There was no DVD of the series. Okay. And, and I was absolutely addicted to television and particularly situational comedy. But nowadays, people don't get that into it. What were your favourites? Just so that, you know, you can go onto YouTube and check them out, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it ain't half hot, Mum. And I've got an interesting story about that. When I was out in the UAE, sorry about this, Johnny. We've got a lot of catching up to do, me and Steve. But in um, okay. when I was in the UAE, I got sent a load of box sets. And one of them was It Ain't a Half Hot Mum. Where, yeah. And for our, for our listener, that's about the British Army in India. And it was a concert party, a British Army concert party. Um, and so there was Indian and... Um, you know, Bengali and Urdu and all, all these kind of people living in around the camp. Anyway, one of my colleagues, in fact, he worked for me, borrowed my box set and he was a Pakistani gentleman and he never gave it back. And I'm not sure whether he didn't give it back because he found it offensive or he just liked it that much that, he, you know, I've left the country now. I've tried to track it back down, but that's gone. You know, yeah. that, that box set is gone. You so, but the, the Make a documentary about that one, yeah. Track. I could. Yeah. Where's my box set? Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, sorry. Moving back to Sundance finalist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Great. I think that's really good because that kind of leads into uh, colonialism. You know, and uh, that's a great topic, isn't it? It is a good topic. Um, I don't know if that's one of the ones that Johnny had lined up for tonight, but um... well. Kinda. Uh, we can kind of segue into. I mean, I, you can relate this uh, this individual I want to bring up. Uh, well, these two individuals I want to bring up. Uh, one in particular to uh, colonialism, George Soros. Uh, I want to talk about him for just ca- just a couple of minutes. Okay. Of course, when I say a couple of minutes, you know what that means. That means an hour. We're going to be sitting here and saying, "Okay, we need to move on." Um, well, but as long as there's not a rant involved, Johnny. Just well, every time we get involved with yeah, every time we get involved with this guy, it's it seems like there is some kind of a rant that's involved. He in particular. Now, I, I know that that he's not the only person that's responsible for all of what we're seeing and, and all of what we're experiencing. He's one of many, but I refuse to believe he's the only person. But uh, Viktor Orban, the Hungarian prime minister, has made... Um, Quite a quite a little uh, attack campaign against Mr. Soros, and it, this is uh, this is quite an interesting individual. And I'm talking about uh, Mr. Orban. He says that Europe, he's written an op-ed piece in response to uh, an op-ed piece that George Soros put out. So it seems like they're kind of going back and forth here. Now, one thing to note about uh, the Prime Minister of Hungary, George Soros paid for his education, and we can talk about all of that here in a minute because again, he's not the only one that does this. But uh, he paid for Mr. Orban's education, and once Viktor Orban got into uh, into office as the uh, as the Hungarian prime minister, he uh, he flipped. He flipped on him. What's uh, what's up? 
Nothing, no. I just got a pencil, you know, because oh. sometimes... Oh, yeah, I take notes, too. I got a, I got a blank pad here myself, and I take notes. That's what I do. But yeah, he once he got into uh, once he got into office, he flipped on him. What I think is is fascinating about this is that uh, he's going back and forth. But Mr. Orban seems to be taking a lot of the lines that most people that uh, can see this agenda. Uh, he seems to be one of the one of very few that are actually trying to mount some kind of a, at least a vocal resistance, be it legit or not. Uh, at least he's forthright about what he's trying to say. Uh, and he says that Europe must not succumb to the Soros network. And we know what George Soros does when he goes into a country. He uh, he undermines it, takes over key aspects of it, and then eventually causes the social upheaval and topples the country. He tried to do this more specifically to the Bank of England, the man who broke the Bank of England. That's his. Uh, that, that was his most modern claim to fame, you could say. Uh, and um, a long time ago, wasn't it? It was. Yes, it was. I mean, what we're talking about, like, 20, 30 years ago? Yes. Well, most, actually, most I think it was further than that. Yeah. Oh, about 30. Oh. Yeah, about, about 30 years. Ago. I want to say it was mid 90s, early to mid 90s. I've never heard of him until I started speaking to you. I really hadn't. And I didn't know he was the man who broke the Bank of England. And, and as a proud Englishman, you know, that's strike one. I find that offensive. But I believe he does what you says he does, which is he'll infiltrate, he will groom, he will get to a position where he's got people in that country's government. And when the chaos starts, left against right, you know, both both extremes being used against each other, he creates an environment in which currencies start to drop. And that's how he that's how he makes his money. And I've seen the interviews with him where he's admitted it and he, he's got an absolutely amoral outlook. His only requirement in life is to make money, is, is, is what he said. And we're all like that, but I think sometimes we come up against tough choices. You know, you can make that extra few thousand or you can do the right thing and not make that extra few thousand or in his case, billion. And he he will always make the choice to, you know, whatever is best for George Soros, not necessarily what is best for everybody. Can I make a point? Can Absolutely. Jump in yeah. there. Absolutely. Well, uh, I find it really odd I'm going to be, yeah, that people talk about George Soros specifically, you know, because he is just part of, you know, he's kind of slotted in to uh, a system. You know, he didn't create the system. You know, he's just he's just exploiting it, you know, which is what Wall, Wall Street does, you know, which is what all the bankers do, uh, uh, all the bankers in the world. You know, they're all they're all playing the same game, you know, which is uh, <laughs> I was then going to swear, uh, make as much money as possible uh, and damn, if I can say that word, damn the consequences, damn the consequences, you know. The, this, you know, it's got a name. It's called neoliberalism. Yeah, it's called neoliberalism or Keynesian Keynesian uh, economy, economics, yeah? Yeah. Uh, Keynesian economics, you know, uh, everything is exploitable and you just damn, you know, you damn the consequences, you know, and this, uh, and that's what bankers do. I mean, the bank, uh, CEO, you know, imagine BlackRock. Now you're talking big time, you know, George yeah. Soros, the BlackRock is a little piece of poo, you know, he's nothing. He's a nobody, you know, BlackRock have got trillions They've got trillions of dollars to play with, yeah? Uh, what, what are they called? The investment bankers or what, what are they called? A hedge fund. A hedge funds, yes. Hedge funds, something like that, you know? And and that's what they're doing, you know? It's like you move in and you exploit as much as you can. You'll buy up, you know, like uh, uh, companies which are failing, you know, for cents on the dollar, whatever you want to call it, you know? And uh, they're just, it's all percentages. That's what it's all about. It's all about percentages. I, I think the issue with Soros is, one, he's been put forward as a face, as someone to, 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 as a target. And we said this a couple of podcasts ago, that as soon as your face is on the, the front of these kind of news items, you're yeah. expendable. Because, yeah, it is the, the, the deep state, the World Bank, the Rothschilds, who are actually funding all these things. And the, I asked the question some time ago. We did a podcast called The Usual Suspects, and we were trying to identify when people use air quotes and say they, who they are. Um, and we went through and, and we, we tried to identify who this new world order actually is. And they've been around for a very long time. 
And you mentioned the word hedge fund there. And the hedge funds are usually invested in by pension groups. People's annuities go into hedge funds. And in 2008, when the last big crash happened, the banks were bailed out. And I think during that time, a lot of these funds were basically empty. They'd lost a lot. They'd lost so much. And that is what partially has accelerated what we're seeing now. This attempt um, by the World Economic Forum to make eight predictions look absolutely wonderful, like the first one being, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. They're trying to do these because they want to get away with it. They don't want to admit that the, you know, the house of cards has fallen down and none of them have, have got any real assets or money. So this this is a chance for them to grab some actual property and things that have real intrinsic value rather than just the made up numbers that they have in the in the stock market and the hedge funds and so on. I, I want to make uh, j- I just want to read a couple of excerpts here from uh, from his uh, his op ed piece. And I want you to tell me whether or not because the three of us at the moment, we're scattered in different parts of Europe. Bruce, I know you're in the US at the moment, but uh, the three of us are in different parts of Europe. Now, I want you to hear uh, what he's got to say just from these uh, this two uh, two or three little sentences here I'm going to read and just tell just tell me whether or not you think that he's he's incorrect or not. I personally, I think that he's right on the money when he says this. Uh, he says, throughout history, Europe's strength is always derived from its nations. Although of different origins, European nations were bound together by the common roots of our faith. The foundation of our communities was the European family model itself based on Judeo-Christian traditions. It was Christian freedom which ensured freedom of thought and culture and which created benign competition among the continent's nations. The magnificent contrast that made Europe the world's leading power through centuries of history, every attempt to unify Europe under the aegis of empires failed. Thus, of course, now they're coming back at it with the EU. Thus, historical experience tells us that Europe will be great again if its nations become great again and resist all forms of, of imperial ambition. Great forces, once again, are moving to eradicate the nations of Europe and unify the continent under the aegis of a global empire, World Economic Forum, as, as you just mentioned. The Soros network, which has woven itself through Europe's bureaucracy and its political elite, has for years been working to make Europe an immigrant continent. Again, I'm just stating what Uh, Prime Minister uh, Orban is saying. Today, the Soros Network, which promotes a global open society, which is the actual name of his foundation, and seeks to abolish national frameworks, is the greatest threat faced by the states of the European Union. The goals of the network are obvious. Create a multi-ethnic, multicultural, open society by accelerating migration and to dismantle national decision-making, placing it in the hands of the global elite. Do you think that he's incorrect? Or do you disagree with any part of what he's saying? Well, I'll make this as short as possible. As soon as anyone waffles on about religion, it turns me right off. And whilst I accept what he's saying, that it has been Judeo-Christian values that has stopped countries in Europe going to war. That's been the West um, in general, though. Yeah, yeah. I also think that um, as countries become more sovereign and independent and build up their own military because they've got a border to protect if it's if it's one big mass eu then there are no borders to to protect do come um into danger of conflict again so i'm i'm arguing against my own views here to a certain extent saying that the more sovereign a country is the more jingoistic a country is the more chances of conflict with your neighbors However, the First and Second World War, I think, has finally uh, broken that old adage of history repeats itself because no one was listening in the first place. And I think to a certain degree, that lesson has now been learned and superpowers and big empires fight their wars through proxies now. And that's been the case since I think really the first proxy war I can think of would be the Korean War. And and that was forty seven, I believe that that kicked off. Uh, so yeah, and then it later went down to we pulled out in after Mao was put in in forty nine. So we we kind of we kind of left that. Yeah. And of course, yeah. I'd say the USA was pretty active in the Korean War. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, but then again, so were the Australians, so were the Canadians, so were we. Proxy, but you mean like uh, it was actually a, it, it wasn't really about Korea at all. It was about China or something. Or it was well, actually, thinking about it, Spain, where you are. 1933. Yeah. Um, 
I wasn't. Uh, there. You, you weren't there then. <laughs> but that war was a, a kind of a proxy war because it was fought in Spain, but groups of people from all over the world came to, to fight in the international brigade on the communist side. And yeah. likewise, Germany and other countries sent their, their fascists there. And, you know, I don't know what your take on it is, but I see communism and fascism as very, very similar beasts. There isn't really that much difference between the two. So that was a proxy war, you know. So nowadays, big, powerful countries fight proxy wars in some other poor bugger's country. Uh, and uh, But it is still this meaningless fight between communism and fascism or communism and the rest of the Western way of life now. For you, what is, what is fascism for you? What does it mean? I think fascism is, is a form of communism, it's, but it's, it's done without any... Totalitarian. Yeah, but isn't, a communis- isn't communism totalitarian? Uh, wasn't it under, under the Soviet Union? Wasn't that a totalitarian uh, form of government? Couldn't tell you. I don't know enough about it. Well, it's... But- it depends. It depends on how you're looking at it, because if you're looking at if you're looking at uh, at communism as its end product, because that's what it is. It's when see this is the misconception, right? People talk about how China is a communist country. China is not a communist country. That's a that's a a crony capitalist system. That's how they're able to rise. I, I think China is more like a uh, state capitalism. Yeah. It, yes. It's it's a um. Uh, you could almost you could almost equate it to kind of what they had in. Business, big time. Yeah, yeah. You could equate it to uh, you could you could equate that to um, dictatorial capitalism, where and and you spent time in China, and I want to talk about that. Uh, we we will get to that here in just a minute. But communism itself, at the end product, what happened in the Soviet Union? That wasn't communism. That was socialism. Same thing that happened in or that's going on in North Korea today. Communism doesn't exist until you go through the process of socialism. Socialism, as Marx and Engels described is the process. It's the uh, the cleansing process, if you will, uh, where they go through and they get rid of all the people that don't you know, believe the undesirables and the, the weak and all that stuff. And then the end point is the actual society itself that emerges as this utopia where there's no history and, and everything, because under Marxism, everything that you've done before is a mistake, right? So you want the utopia. So you have to push, fa- you have to push past that. You have to understand the basic dialectics of Marx and Engels itself. And the dialectics are, it's a basic philosophical doctrine, which they took from uh, a little bit of English philosophy, French philosophy, and German philosophy. And they decided to reshape the world in what they thought was a utopian... Uh, material materialism, isn't it? Isn't dialectic it materialism. Absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Like looking at the real world and trying to interpret that, you know, through materialism, right? Through the real world. Yeah. Not not talking about God and spirituality and good and bad and all the rest of that. Yeah. Which is what like philosophy was doing maybe, you know, for thousands of years before that. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it's like getting down to the get getting down to the uh, you know, the, the beefsteak. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, talking about, you know, the the real the real thing. And talking about class trouble. I mean that's that's what Mark, uh, Marx did, isn't he? I mean he puts he puts society in the context of a class struggle, you know, where you have an elite and then you have a middle class, for example, and then you have the, the rabble, you know, the horde at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, I mean, I mean, I don't think, I mean, Russia had a revolution and it ended up with something, you know, which was uh, called communism. Now, whether it was communism or not, I, I don't believe, I don't believe it was, you know, I don't believe it was communism, but it was something along that line. And actually, you know, although it's got a really bad name, obviously because it's been slagged off um, the media, you know, by the by the by the ruling elite of the West, you know, they they are actually obviously scared of communism. They're scared because it's a threat to the to their position. If you were if you were a multi billionaire and you had uh, thousands and thousands of acres of land and all the rest of it, then you wouldn't want communism, obviously. And if you got that kind of money. Uh, and you know you're gonna you're gonna pay and you're gonna do what what you can. I mean, basically, politics in the West is a you know it's an elitist game. It's a game you know played by the elite for the elite. The unfortunate situation we find ourselves now in. No, uh, no, in, you know, because in, 
about the Yale study. You know about the study in Yale that they I'm did. I'm afraid you've got about, one. You've got one on me there about the the um, the desires of the ordinary person are not reflected in politics. The will of the people is not uh, reflected in politics in America. They they do not have a say. They don't have a say in what they get because most people in America want universal uh, healthcare, for example. And they've wanted it for years, but they're never going to get it, you know. And they don't actually want guns either. I mean, most people in America, I believe, you know, they're kind of against these kind of like crazy, you know, automatic guns. Look at their faces. Maybe, oh, these maybe, in, the, maybe in the cities, maybe, but uh, us good old boys from uh, from flyover country, we, uh, <laughs> we, we <clears throat> love our guns. Okay. No. You're right. Yeah, probably people from the, you know, in the country, in the in the Dakota, <laughs> South Dakota and the rest of it. Yeah, they love guns. Yeah. But, I mean, re- really, it's, it's very crazy, isn't it? I mean, who, who the hell, who the hell, you know, wants a, an automatic rifle or machine gun or whatever? You know what I mean? Yeah, right now I do. Right now I do. Because what's coming as this great reset is forced upon us, is gonna is is gonna require everybody who's not willing to lay down and just take it. It's gonna require some form of struggle, and well, that's big talk. That is. Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a big guy. <laughs> Where's the beef? The the beef. Yeah, it's in Davos. It's in Davos, Switzerland. <laughs> it's, it's in Davos. But going back to what you were start, saying, Steve, about. The elite being scared of communism and Marxism. And Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want that man anywhere near. What's happened? Jeremy Corbyn, he has been fried, man. He has. I'm sure he's a lovely bloke, but the policies that were coming out of his campaign. He's an old school socialist, you know, from the the 60s and the 70s. That's all he is, you know. I mean, if he was proposing what he's proposing now, you know, in the 60s, everyone goes, yeah, fine. You know, that's that's what they were doing in the 60s, you know? Yeah. You know, but protect the National Health Service. You don't want to protect the National... You want to privatise everything? Is that what you want? You me? Yeah. Absolutely not. No. Um, well, I've had arguments with these two about medical health care insurance and... What about neoliberalism? You know, privatise everything, you know? Rainwater, yeah. you know? Do you know, to be fair to Corbyn, the policy about claiming back our power and our water and the rail service, yeah. I could get behind. I could get behind all of that, but it would cost the country more yeah. than we had. We were yeah. getting to the point, before all this COVID shenanigans, we were getting to the point where our national debt was reducing and reducing, but now it's gone way back up again. And the, you know, the less you owe the World Bank and uh, the other organisations like that, the more autom- autonomy and sovereignty you've got over your own country. The UK doesn't have any sovereignty over itself. Not anymore, no. It's owned by bankers and is spied on by the NSA, you know, and it's helped It's helped by the by the uh, secret services in the UK. They work together. They work together. You know, CIA personnel work in the UA, in the UK, man, you know. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 there's yeah. bound to be a field office there right have- in the middle of Whitehall. Don't have any sovereignty. That's a that's a dream. There's no, got to be steps. There's no, got to be steps towards no, that dream. There's got to be a way of moving towards it. And who um, sovereignty? I mean, you know, when you talk about sovereignty, who has the sovereignty? The people? You're telling me it that should be have the sovereignty because it should be. It's not. You're quite right. They don't. It's obvious. Are you talking about the queen? She's the sovereign. She's, She's a figurehead. Yeah. She's the sovereign, yeah. She she's a figurehead. She's a um, yeah yeah yeah. We're 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 a constitutional monarchy, aren't we? Just the same as it is in Spain. It's and a it's a load of flatulence. The whole thing. <laughs> I've been through this just recently, and when I was a, a teenager, I was one hundred percent anti-monarchy because I thought they were just a bunch of spendthrift and wastrels, you know, who lived the life of Riley on our money, on, on taxpayers' money. And you were right then. And then what happened? Then, then I realised just how much pride and uh, <laughs> how, yeah. how much pride like, in the magic, country. Yeah, magic stuff called pride, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, magic this reasons. we're going to have to do – we're going to have to do um, – 
uh, a part two to this, because what I really wanted to talk to you about with you is how we can have been brought up 120 yards apart, but have such different outlooks and and such different um, ideas about how things should be. So to finish off that point, I was then quite royalist and appreciated what the royal family, the sacrifices that certain members of the royal family have made for this country, for the UK. But when Prince Charles comes out and gives a speech for the World Economics World Economic Forum's eight predictions and the and the Great Reset, all of a sudden I'm like, whoa! I'm I'm back to square one almost. I'm I'm back to that point where I could almost agree with you. I think it's absolutely atrocious that our future king would come out on side with this. Mm. To- well, the Great Reset. The Great Reset, and you've got to have back. To explain that a little bit, Amy, because I'm I haven't really kind of captured all that you know Great Reset stuff. You know, no. Um, what we what we hope to do is get our listeners or listener, however many we've got, to to go on to the the World Economic Forum's website yeah. and read those eight predictions, and then uh, I I went onto that website and I read I read these things. Okay, yeah. Uh, but it, it, was, it wasn't anything specific. I mean, it's not like no, of course not. Of course, it's not person. Or it said, or it, or there was like one person said this, and then yeah. another person said that. But there's nothing official about it. Well, what they'll do, what they'll do, they're very articulate about this. What they'll do is they'll have people in key positions around the world, be it politicians or or lobbyists or, or corporation heads or whatever. If you look at the people that they have involved with this group, for example, the mayor of Los Angeles, California, is a member of this group, and and he writes uh, op-ed pieces for them, uh, Mayor Eric Garcetti. And so what they'll do is they will have people do uh, a little piece here or a little piece there. So it's fractured. You never have a solid uh, individual like Klaus Schwab, for example. He's just the he, he's the figurehead. He's the one that makes the statements and and speaks. He's the founder of of the group. And uh, it, the, uh, the whole concept of the Great Reset is his idea. I mean, he wrote a book called The Great Reset. The World Economic Forum is his idea? Yes. And that's it, it's his group. What it Steve. Is. You're absolutely right. When you look at the eight predictions, oh, they look wonderful. Not to everybody. And if you read between the lines, they actually are a nightmare. But when you're quite right in saying it's it's nothing concrete, but when you link those imaginings, those eight predictions to Agenda 2030 and read that 17 points to change all of our lives, you can see where the globalist are trying to push us. And this takes me back to the point I was trying to make a little while ago mm. about the elite being scared of communism and socialism. They are no longer scared of it because they are going to use those systems of government to rule the masses. They're going to wipe out the middle class and they are just going to have this zero asset slave labor force. But surely, to- excuse me, Mon, surely if you have an elite... You know, who's like pulling the strings, which basically I think we have anyway. I mean, there is an elite in the world, you know. I mean, anyone who's a billionaire can buy a few uh, politicians, you know. I mean, they don't cost that much. You know, they're, they're pretty cheap going, do you know what I mean? You can buy a U.S. senator for $250,000. Well, there you go. You see, that's, that's the, the starting price, yeah, for a senator. So, you know, $250,000 is, you know, it's like, uh, it's no big deal, is it, if you've got, you know, 10 or, 10 or 20 mil- billion. And there are plenty of the guys out there. I mean, there are how many people have got a hundred billion dollars now? Three or four, yeah. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. It's like yeah. Uh, whoever they are, you know, we know who they are. You don't have to go. Uh, they got a hundred billion, a hundred billion dollars, you know. I mean, you can buy Congress for that, you know what I mean? You know, so uh all this all this kind of stuff that you're talking about, somebody's gotta put that somebody's gotta kickstart that, somebody's gotta put that into action. And that means that Congress has got to pay for, uh, vote for it, rather. Yeah, they got to vote for it. I mean, if the if the United States is not behind this, then it's not going to go anywhere because they're the guys that you know they're the people who are ruling the West. Yeah, the West because you know they they got all the they got all the levers. You know, they got the you know they they got the oil. You know what I mean? They're controlling the oil production. They're not. They haven't got it. But they're controlling the production, and they and if you want oil, you're going to have to buy it with dollars. Yeah, you know what I mean. 
And but they, oil, oil is oil is being taken out of the equation, Steve. They need that for their banking, you know. Uh, they 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 do. But know, oil is being taken out of the equation. Yeah. The the climate change oil. movement. It has to happen. The oil has yeah, to be taken out. Yeah, sure. But these people, the other one that begins with R, which is Rockefeller, made all their money in the oil. Yeah. And so now that the move is to go for greener alternatives, their basis for those billions and trillions is disappearing. It's being taken from them. So they have to come up with something else. You know, by, uh, I think it was originally going to be 2050, but now it's 2035. In 15 years' time, you are not allowed to own a petrol or diesel car. It's earlier than that. Boris just dropped it to 2030 two weeks ago. Yeah, well, Boris is probably going to get... They're going to try and phase it out, yeah, like petrol and diesel. The, The most basic level of electric car have a guess how much one costs. I was looking. I I want to say I want to say about twelve thousand pounds. Is that about right? Thirty. Thirty. It, you know the most basic four seater hatchback. It starts at about thirty thousand pounds. Twenty nine thousand nine hundred to to buy. People can't afford to buy those sorts of vehicles. Most yeah. people. Most yeah. people now have got a car. Maybe we shouldn't all have cars, Maybe. but we have. But, but but we have, and now we've got. The, them. Well, sorry, you know, I mean, why have we? Why have we got cars? Well, because the the, the way in which because the, <laughs> the public transport is useless. But again, well, public transport is useless. Yes, it, de- it depends. It depends on where you are. For example, and I was having this conversation with Bruce the other day. Where I'm at, and and I, I mean, obviously, you can't compare all European countries the same when it comes to public transport. I've been on public transport in Spain. I've been in public transport in the Netherlands. Public transport in France. They're all different. Uh, but where I am specifically, the public transport that they have, it's very clean. It's very efficient. It's well maintained. It's well funded. Albeit, it's run by. A network of private companies. It's not run by the state any longer. They did change that a, a number of years ago. The cost is reasonable. It's not overpriced. At least no one, uh, no one really thinks so. Uh, but it is, uh, it is there, and and it is efficient. But of course, I think that might have something to do with the German mentality as well. The average late time for public transportation as a whole nationwide here is thirty six seconds. So it's not that bad. Uh, but again, it depends on where you are. Of course, if you're in an urban environment, definitely public transport is great. But people here in the UK, because we're not, we, you know, we're, we don't all live in inner cities. A lot of us live in suburbs and rural towns. Yeah. They need their cars, but they yeah. won't be able to afford one yeah. because they will be priced out of the market. They won't be able to afford one. And all of a sudden, all the things that they used to rely on uh, for that, you know, with their car, what they'll either not do anymore or something else will have to be put into its place. So my, my point about that is that oil doesn't it is being taken out of the equation. So instead of oil, they are looking for other things that they've already invested in. And Johnny's got a phrase, um, I don't know which whether it was Johnny or Bruce that coined the phrase, but they're they're calling it disruptive technology. And and so these Shadowy evil sods that want to change everything about my life have already invested in those technologies, and they're now at the point where they can start to roll them out, suck back on oil. Oil doesn't matter anymore, and um, and push these other technologies forward. Trump apparently is at the moment. We both watched that video that um, that gentleman Tom was putting forward because you commented, Steve, uh, earlier today. He's saying that Trump is basically legislating now to make it illegal for banks not to offer loans to fossil fuel prospecting companies because there's there's been a moratorium on it that all the banks have said now we're got we're not going to lend any money to anyone who's drilling in the antarctic or the arctic or, or whatever and trump is now trying before he leaves office if he leaves office to force the banks to start lending money for oil again so if he's on the other side of, of of the new world order because he's not from the political class that would justify him trying to do that from from his perspective. My view of Trump is that he's just out for, to make a few bucks for himself. He's already got a few bucks. This is this is a question that I put. So Soros got his money, but he what? Or you know, you you never find a you never find a rich person who's happy with what they got. Come on, 
you know. No, because, because what drives them to become as rich as they become, as rich as Crassus, is they're not normal. They they have a different. They're differently wired, um, it does, isn't it? You know, I mean, for them, you know, if they if they make, uh, you know, for uh, what's his name, Bezos, you know, if he yeah. makes uh, ten billion in one week, you know, he gets a buzz, man. You know, it's like a buzz. Yeah. You know, that's what it's all about, isn't it? You know, I mean, it, for me, for me and you and normal person, you know, if you win, the, if you like, pick up a hundred quid extra, that's like, wow, yeah, I picked up a hundred quid. You know, that's a good. Yeah. It's a good feeling, yeah? It, it is a good feeling, but if I picked up a couple of hundred thousand, I'd yeah. stop work immediately. That's all, that's all it would take. Not even a million, a couple of hundred thousand, yeah. and I would knock it off, whereas these individuals are driven almost to the point of Worse. being a sociopath uh, and, and a megalomaniac to want more and more money, power, and influence. It's not the money, because they're not spending it all. You can't spend it. Uh, well, exactly. So, so what they're left with um, is an empty feeling until they get their next big hit, and that's what where I think Soros falls into this part of the story because he just wants to um, cause trouble, make some money, get more power and influence, groom another few politicians, and um, and reap the benefits and what a few you- years down the line. What's his objective at the end of it's the day? It's purely that he's pissed on power. That is it. Political power. Political influence, yeah, whatever you want to call it. It's control and influence. Factory power, yeah? Yeah. He has a lot and, of billionaire, right? And I think it's the same with Gates as well. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Bruce. You sat there so patient, <laughs> and I've been waiting for you to butt in. Just butt in, mate. No, I'm letting you guys go. I'm I'm listening. <laughs> whatever we have, you notice whenever we have two Englishmen, you notice whenever we have two Englishmen on, they they just kind of, you know, they go, they just go and go and go. Um, yeah, you think it's, it's the Continentals that, that have got all the chat. It's not. It's a, you know what I mean? Or, <laughs> okay, or I wanted Johnny's. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Yes. I wanted to uh, I wanted to kind of transition here a little bit. Uh and I I, are you are you okay with talking about uh, your experience in China and the time you spent there? Uh, well, you know, uh, what can I say? I don't know. I mean, I lived in a few different places. I was in, well, I spent most of the time in Guangzhou, uh, which is in uh, Guangzhou. Yeah. And what, and what, what did you do there? Yeah, I was teaching. I was teaching in uh, some schools and universities. I had four or five different places I worked. And I was, it was on and off. I was coming and going, you know, I, I, I was there for like a year. And then I came back and I went to Saudi Arabia, actually, and I lived uh, taught in Saudi Arabia as well, which I was going to talk about because I was in like Riyadh, spent like a year in Riyadh and talking to public transport. I don't know if you've been to Riyadh uh, yourself. Uh, yeah, I've been, I've been there, but I mean, the, chauffeur driven. Riyadh is non-existent. You know, they have no underground. Yeah, they have no trains. I, well, I think they got one train line. There isn't a bus service to talk of. That was then. Obviously, um, is driving around in these in these kind of like you know mega mega petrol guzzling you know uh, American cars mostly you know like what were they called the big one what's it uh, what they what's yeah, the, uh, got the SUVs you see Cadillacs around there and Suburbans um, Suburbans uh, the, the Carlos Chevys yeah very popular American car and then uh, and then it was like well you know who designed this uh, you know uh, and I, I believe it was when in the 70s, um, you know, when uh, there was like, what, what was the OPEC thing came along? Because until the, I think it was like 72 or 74 or something like that, I, I believe petrol was at like $2 a barrel. Is that right? Right around that time, it was it was pretty cheap, yeah. And they like whacked up the price and it, was, and it ended up, I don't know what, what the price was. I mean, it, it was like five, four, five, six or seven times more expensive, right? And uh, and and they did a deal, right? They did a deal with America at that moment, right? Which was like, and then it, and then you got the the concept of petrol dollars because the deal was okay. You will will let you put your money uh, the price up, but you got to sell it in dollars, right? And that's part of the deal that we got now. Yeah, the, all the all the petrol has to be bought in dollars. That's why Gaddafi wasn't very popular. And Saddam Hussein wasn't very popular either because he was like threatening to sell, sell his 
petrol in uh, euros, I believe. Yep. And they, were- you wanted, they both wanted to do euros and uh, didn't go very well for them, did it? We're not having it, yeah. So uh, anyway, and so, you know, it's, it's, it was a nice deal, yeah, for, for the Americans. Yeah, they came up very well, you know what I mean? The price mm. went up, but the deal is you're going to sell it in dollars. And then when they have all these dollars, they're going to invest it in infrastructure, yeah? So yeah. They, you know, all this bridge making and all, the re- and all these roads, yeah? But of course, you know, they're, they're like, you know, public transport. No, 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 we don't want any transport. What you've got, what you need is like lots of big, Gas guzzling cars that we make in America, yeah, and uh, that's what they got, yeah. That is exactly as it um, as as it was. Um, I left Saudi. Uh, I was out there for five six months, going back two years ago now. And there is now a rail line from Riyadh, yeah, um, going all the way to Damam, yeah, where the um, causeway to um, Bahrain is, yeah, and. Um, is, you know that the UAE is building its infrastructure. Um, it's just built almost an extra city next yeah. to Dubai for um, Expo 2020, which uh, hasn't happened. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. So they're broke. You know the, the the royal family of Dubai of Dubai are broke anyway. They keep borrowing money from the royal family of Abu Dhabi, which is the capital of the UAE. But you you are right. The, the the infrastructure back then in the 80s wasn't much to talk about but they have advanced and advanced and advanced all on the back all on the strength of oil but when oil's no longer going to be very important anymore it's going to happen to Saudi Arabia yeah exactly if they can't pay the millions of expats in both Saudi and the UAE that actually do all the real work because all the locals are fully employed, 100% employment for Saudis and Emiratis. Yeah. But they're pretty much all got a – there's there's no Emirati plumbers. There's no such thing as an Emirati bricklayer. Um, yeah. They're all in management jobs and, and those yeah. kind of things. And they've all got a UK, US, Canadian, French, Italian – consultant sat there actually doing the work if they've got no money to pay those people they'll all disappear and that whole region will turn to desert in no time at all when you were in china did you get paid in yuan yeah or did you get yeah yeah and um were you able to uh exchange that if you wanted to send it home i i went through hong kong yeah but you can Um, anyway you know but the only reason i the only reason I asked, the only time I was ever on the mainland uh, in China was Shanghai in 1986. Yeah. And very similar to the thing in Spain where you couldn't take more than $40, uh, 40 pounds on yeah. holiday with you. Yeah. Do you remember how it was? You weren't allowed to take cash into Spain because they didn't want Franco getting hold of loads of sterling. All right. But China, on the flip side, in '86. We wanted to go around and, and off the ship. The ship was alongside in the Yangtze in Shanghai. Yeah. And we wanted to go and visit places uh, and look at things and get drunk. But they wouldn't give us any yuan. We gave them hard currency and they gave us things called friendship tokens. Oh, I never heard of that. You never heard of it? Um, uh, so like uh, Cook's travel. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just vouchers that you could only spend in certain places. That way... Thomas Cook, did, Thomas Cook did that as well, yeah. They did, they did, and that goes back quite a way, doesn't it? I mean, Thomas Cook was the first travel agent, and, and they sorted things out for the grand tour that all our elite used to go on, and, and you'd take your, your travel vouchers with you. or your, Is that when they used to go to Africa and shoot? Yeah, the- yeah, the grand tour would, would be somewhere usually around europe or maybe africa uh, and thomas cook used to organize that for our well to do from norfolk from norfolk yes i know they have yeah. half of norfolk i think is the finest county in all of england in my humble opinion there you go yeah <laughs> getting back we to have china a, we have a mutual friend in london who would disagree with you sir well he's wrong so you know it's very conservative there's a very conservative uh, county it is totally but- Practically 100% conservative. Yeah. And and why is that, do you think? Ignorance. You think it's ignorance? Probably. Okay. You see, this is another one of those things. Sorry, Norfolk people. <laughs> this is another one of those things where I find it amazing that yeah. we almost identical 
backgrounds to begin yeah. with up to a point and we both well, left i could i could give you and i could give you a rundown on why i mean the fact that you're from the same street or whatever you know i mean that's nothing is it i mean well should we have a, a similar view on life you know? no well, no i'm not saying we sorry johnny no it, it's okay I, I just i i just like to say because i mean if you if you think about it look at the way we are in the world today not just in one country or another but in all countries we're being polarized we are yeah. being pitted against each other by this agenda that's put out and it's terrible we should be able to get along with our neighbors and we should be able to get along with with people that we know from be it our childhood or or people yeah. that we run across in passing even if we don't agree on politics workers of the world unite uh, not not quite <laughs> along those lines i wasn't quite meaning that you want to be united but you don't want to be united under underneath that banner no i'd rather be united yeah. under to be united I, i'd like to be united under under a sense which, which of banner, uh, which banner would you like get a gun get united no well, <laughs> i i prefer we the people in order to form a more perfect union uh strive for uh, yeah. liberty and and justice and and, and all of that i i prefer I, that as opposed to um you know i actually prefer the old pagan wiccan creed which is do as you will but harm none and yeah. You know, liberty, being free to do what you want to do as long as you're not hurting anybody. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think what it is is, you know, you've got a concept in your head, you know, which is just automatically you turned off, you know, because it's a Marxist saying. Because because Marx said it, it's like, then it's bad. You know what I mean? But that's a a preacher. I believe that, I believe that, you know, you've been programmed. I believe that you've been programmed to reject that so that that banner you know well, well from my perspective you're probably absolutely right having having spent uh, a you've had communism like i mean i, I don't know i've you, been i've been ready most of my adult life to to fight communists yeah, there you go yeah 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 so yeah, you're spot on you, you know I'm, and, america where you can use the word socialism i mean it's like bernie sanders has kind of like popularized the concept that Socialism isn't that such a bad idea, you know. That can you give me one example of communism or socialism where the people haven't suffered and haven't been put under a totalitarian rule? I would, well, I would say, you know, I wouldn't say socialism, or I would say social socialist uh, ideal ideas or ideology, right? Well, yeah. What is what is it? What does it mean? I mean, it just basically. Well, I, th- I think it means that that society comes first surely and that uh you know like this is the big this is the big dilemma isn't it i mean it's not a dilemma i mean this is the big kind of uh, the divide this is this is where politics has divided us it's like you know you're the, you're the you know in the american you know concept you know is like the the rugged individual you know what i mean is the yeah, you know, yeah that's I right got, i got my gun and you ain't gonna take it from me you know what i mean with my what was it what was that guy's my last, you know, yeah, you my can have my, hands. my cold dead hands, yes. You know, you've got your gun, you know, and you're out there and you're in the wild and it's you against the elements and you're against everybody else and you're this kind of tough guy and all the rest of it, yeah? But, you know, we all live in society, you know, what what comes first, you know, the individual or the society? And not divide, you know, you can't separate them. I think it's, I think, but no, I, I can't say I disagree with that because it's, it has to be, it has to be a, um, um, a cooperation for both. It can't just be one or the other. So exactly, it, it's got to be a system where, where you come across. I mean, societies and civilizations have developed basically all the same way. You start out with, with a mixture period. And I'm talking about you go back to the days of the collapse of the Roman Empire. We came out of that. So, and again, if you look at that particular time during uh, the civilization that preceded us, they were totalitarian in in a, in their own form. They were totalitarian. But as we emerged out of that, we had to start from the ground up. So you had a, a form of uh, of you you went through uh, like your mixture period. You went through your gestation period where you had uh, people coming together. They then formed communities around uh, around what would later become agrarian societies, and then we built our way up from there. And then once we did that, then we discovered industrialism, and then you had the class system appear. We emerged out of the uh, the nobility cl- the nobility type atmosphere, if you will. 
and we we emerged into the class system. And then, of course, you had the the laborers, right? The or the well, the the big underclass of laboring, and then you had the capital, the evil capitalist business owners, right? And the the factory workers or factory owners, and kept all the people living in squalor and things of that nature. So when Marx and Engels actually wrote the manifesto, I mean, you have to think about where Europe was at the time. It was terrible. It was terrible. Right. The conditions were awful. Marx was uh, in, in his writings. He was talking about people that he saw eating out of like garbage cans. I mean, it was terrible. People living in in horrible conditions in houses. So I can understand yeah. why uh, why he uh, he and Engels sat down and and came up with the uh, the ideas to an extent. But at the same time, I look at Engels. Right. Engels was a capitalist. <laughs> he inherited a, uh, a textile um, manufacturing company from his father. Yeah. And uh, and then ran that, you know, out of London. And then, of course, Marx. Marx came from a very well-to-do uh, German family. His father was a prominent German lawyer. Of course, his mother was a homemaker because they didn't work at the time. Women didn't yeah. work at the time. But yeah. Marx was an intelligent man. He was an intelligent man. Anybody that doesn't, anybody that thinks that Marx was stupid would be incorrect. Marx was a very smart guy. Graduated from the University of Berlin in 1860 with his doctorate of philosophy. Very smart they, man. He actually talked about communism, did he? I mean, did Marx actually talk about communism? He, he I don't did. Well, he, he believed, a, you know, as much about it was a, you know, it was a sort of philosophical uh, thesis, you know. Yes. The, on, yeah. He was a, he was an ideologue. That, that's what he was. He was he was an academic. He was an ideologue. And, and that's that's what he said. He said, look, if you if you want to uh, create better conditions of, of the world, then then this is what needs to happen. And and that's where they that's where they came up with their their philosophical doctrine, of, which was a mix of business either. You know, I mean, he was pro business. You know, he he liked the middle class. He was from the middle class, and he was he was kind of pro business guy. You know, he said you need the middle class. You know, I mean, it's like you know, you talk about communism, like you know, politicians, you know, the elite, you know, will sort of like throw communism in in, in your face. You know, like scare the scare the hell out of you. You know, well, like, the elites, of, yeah, the elites though. They just they use it as a tool of control. That's all they use it for. Yeah, yeah, because religion's not working anymore, and the, and that. That spurred a thought earlier on. I haven't read his Marx's work, but I have heard the sound bites that, that have been used and the general ideas of of, of how it makes communist manifesto. There it is. It's a four letter word, you know, communism. Yeah, um, <laughs> communism. But his his um, his work and his ideas have been used by unscrupulous people who have brought communism, socialism, and a totalitarian rule to so many different countries by, I think, misquoting him or taking what he has actually written out of context. And it's the same with the Bible. It's the same with the Quran. Yeah. People misquote deliberately to rabble-rouse. They are means of controlling the masses. Communism is one. Religion is another. Fascism is another, but I think fascism and communism are the same, two sides of the same coin. Two extremes. So, yeah. And well, I think they're in, it's interesting when you say that. I mean, because like fascism, where, I mean, it came out of the the depression. It, 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 it came out of the depression. It came out of the Treaty of Versailles. After the First World War, and then we yeah. had the 20s uh, uh, crash. Yeah. Yeah. And then fascism kind of sprouted out of that. It's like fascism is like a, a is when capitalism fails, uh, and then fascism takes over. And yeah. we're at the point of capitalism failing are, again, uh, right at this very moment. You know, we've been going through austerity, you know, from the from the crash for the last uh, what twelve years, right? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're at time, uh, unless I mean, if you guys want to keep going, it's entirely up to you. But uh, no, no. Uh, unless Steve's got anything he wants to, we haven't talked about Julian Assange or anything like that. Which oh, we wanted damn it, to. I uh, um, by the way, just on a side note, uh, this is this is uh, what's being reported right now, or talked about rather. It's said that Trump's possibly going to pardon uh, Edward Snowden and Assange both in the coming days. Yeah, he better make it quick. He better make it quick. Yeah, I believe I agree. Yeah. With that. See, okay. Well, Steve, do you want to come on again in the not too distant future so yeah. we can talk about those other things? Would love to have you back. Love to, yeah. Because it really is a balance now, rather than us all just rubbing each other's bellies and so, uh, and talking from one perspective. Okay. And it, it's much more refreshing to have a, 
a different set of views. I agree. Okay. And your initial nervousness, what was that justified? No. No. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't do that to you. I wouldn't do that to you. I told you it'd be a I, I told you we'd have a nice healthy conversation and we can all smile and walk away as friends. That's how it is here. Yeah. I'm so, just and jealous we're, and we're happy. Yeah, and we're happy to have you back when you're ready to come back on. <laughs> okay, well, you let me know, yeah, uh, if I can Absolutely. make it. Uh, all right, we're going to have to end, gentlemen. It's been a fascinating conversation, a uh, little bit different, and and that's good. I like that. I, I like going back and forth. And now that we have uh, a different uh, different view in here, I, I like going back and forth about that as well. It's, it's been uh, a welcome thing here, in, uh, especially during all this, this crazy time. You know, it's nice to talk a different view of politics for once. So thank you for being here tonight, Steve. So for those of you who have yeah. not, you'd like to, please do give us a follow on the social media platform of Parler. And I know that I've gotten some comments this week and I've gotten some echoes and some likes. Appreciate that very much. But you can give me a follow over there at Anderson 3 or you can follow Marty at Marty Foster. Also, if you want to reach out to us and you don't want to do it on social media, you can do so anytime by dropping us a line at tips at dynamicindependence.com. And we would humbly ask you to pass this along to friends, family, and known associates. We are trying to grow our audience here as much as possible, especially during these perilous times. And we need your help as a loyal listener in order to do that. So if you could pass this along, we would appreciate that as well. Also, if you're rating podcast, if you could drop over to Apple Podcast and give us a rating at your earliest podcast convenience we would appreciate that five stars would be a plus thank you very much steve marty and bruce thank you guys for your time tonight thanks johnny good night man and from all of us here wherever you are in the world we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible we love you and we love freedom and independence and together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas so we'll see all of you tomorrow